morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.35 a.m. Central Daylight Time. God, when is this time change going to happen, man? I'm so sick of the sun going down so late. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I am ready for fall and winter. I have been baking under the sun for so long. I can't, I can't even think straight. It is September the 27th, 2019, and this is episode 143 of Bitcoin and Africa. Check it out. Stephen Waru is writing for Bitcoin Magazine, Bitcoin in Africa, Offering new and better ways of exchanging value. Let's see what this one's about. With each passing day, more and more Africans are discovering cryptocurrencies. As a result, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are finding real use cases in African countries. African countries such as Nigeria have been reported to have among the highest search rates for the keyword Bitcoin. A significant reason behind this increasing interest is cryptocurrency is the rise of African-focused crypto companies. Companies such as Luno have been at the forefront of cryptocurrency adoption in major African economies, including Nigeria and South Africa. According to Owenzi Odaya, the the country manager in Nigeria for Luno, the company makes it safer and easier to buy, sell, and store and learn about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Bcash, and Ether. Quote, we aim to upgrade the world to a better financial system, and we have more than 3 million users across 40 countries in emerging and developed markets, Odaya said. Recently, Bitcoin Magazine had a chance to speak with Odaya about the current and future use cases of cryptocurrencies in Africa. So, crypto, or rather, question, Bitcoin Magazine. Luno has, uh, Luno has managed to achieve a dedicated following globally and in the African continent. How is this cultivated? Odaya, like in any other market, cultivating a successful business in Africa depends on understanding the nuances of the market and building solutions that address specific needs. For example, we were the first cryptocurrency exchange with a mobile app, which placed us in a unique position to take advantage of the mobile revolution on the continent. We also make it easy for consumers to trade in their local currencies. There is not a lot of companies that offer these kinds of services in Africa and across the rest of the world, and certainly not in a very mass market, user-friendly way, and particularly with a really good mobile product coupled with good customer service. Okay. According to the Luno's uh, Future of Money report, cryptocurrencies are likely to experience the most adoption in emerging markets. Why do you think... This is the case. Odaya says the African continent is full of financially savvy people who understand the need or understand and need the benefits that different financial systems can offer. For example, when asked why money was essential to them, 60% of Nigerians respond, uh, responds, uh, responded it was that it was this to secure their family's well-being. Good Lord, Dave. Come on. Get it together. said it was to pay for their education compared to just 8% of respondents who said that in the UK. 
one of the conclusions we drew from this is that if money is not simply a nice to have, but is vital for your future, then you spend more time understanding it, managing it, preserving it, and to extents being with creative with how you maximize the use of it. Therefore, if cryptocurrencies can provide a more secure and cheaper means of exchanging value than the existing system, it will be used. From your personal experience, what do you think are some of the most prominent use cases of cryptocurrencies in Africa? Odaya responds, as the African continent free trade or continental free trade agreement comes into play, cryptocurrencies could be useful for for reducing the cost of intra-African trade. The cost of cross-border trading can be a big sticking point for trade on the continent, given that there's no common currency. Cryptocurrencies offer a welcomed alternative with much lower transaction cost and, and a decentralized structure, meaning they're open and more affordable for anyone to use wherever they are. Cryptocurrencies like stablecoins can also mitigate the risk of currency fluctuations. One of the biggest criticisms of cryptocurrencies is is that they can be quite volatile. No, but stablecoins are pegged to to traditional fiat currencies and other established stores of value, which eliminates any volatility. As such, these stablecoins do not only provide a secure and predictable tool for exchanging goods and services, they also bring with them the benefits of both fiat and cryptocurrencies. In Africa, Bitcoin scams have resulted in people distrusting cryptocurrencies. How has Luna helped to fight this misconception that is negatively affecting adoption levels? Odias responds, negative perceptions of cryptocurrencies are mostly based on emotion and not rational facts. The data shows that cryptocurrencies are are less of a risk, both in absolute and relative terms, to the existing fiat currency system. It doesn't mean that there is no risk. It just means the risk is small. And like all other financial systems, the risk cannot be eliminated, but should be mitigated. We do a lot of work around education, providing clarity on a lot of commonly held views that don't accurately reflect cryptocurrencies. In Nigeria, for example, we've had several university events across different regions to build understanding about cryptocurrencies among students. It's about ensuring this happens across the board for consumers, the media, and broader stakeholders. The Facebook Libra coin is set to be launched in 2020 with a social media giant planning to market it heavily in emerging markets. What do you think will be the impact of Libra on crypto adoption in the Afri- on the African continent? Odias responds, in the long run, Libra will have a positive effect on cri- Africa's cryptocurrency adoption. Trust issues around cryptocurrencies are well documented, but on Facebook, you have not only a globally recognized company, but also an affiliation of well-respected financial players such as Visa and MasterCard who provide further assurances. The inclusion of these companies also address distribution issues by instilling broader acceptance by a wider range of partners essentially solving the bigger chicken and egg problem, which merchant or company would not want to add a new cryptocurrency that will be available to billions of people all over the world already using all these social networks. While many crypto initiatives focus on building the product first and hoping the market will come to it, Libra essentially flips that around and tries to solve the harder problem of distribution before finalizing the product. And this is where their global partner strategy strengthens the case for adoption. Different African countries have different policies when it comes to cryptocurrencies. Will the cryptocurrency industry thrive or is some uniformity needed to promote mass use of cryptocurrencies? Odaya responds, 
cryptocurrency companies should take an open approach to working with banks and governments to find common ground on issues such as regulation. This might look different across the continent, but with improved regulation bringing clarity and protection to businesses and consumers, this will go a long way in driving mainstream adoption. However, we know the regulatory space doesn't always move at the same speed as startups, but that's where self-regulation comes in so crypto firms can inspire trust among key stakeholders. For example, we, ap- we apply stringent KYC and AML processes as it's something that's deeply ingrained in our culture. Man, that is just too freaking bad. Has the recent Bitcoin bull market affected the progress rate of cryptocurrencies in Africa? Odaya responds, there is a relationship between cryptocurrencies and other asset classes, but it will be something of an overstatement to ascribe too much significance to that relationship. Some people may be using Bitcoin as a safe haven when the markets aren't performing too well, but that is a small fraction compared to those that take the same approach with gold and other traditional stores of value. But as an alternative investment, when you look at the correlation of potential upside, it does make sense to put some money into cryptocurrencies. Yes, it's high risk, but the returns could be astronomical. <clears throat> What's next for Luno in Africa? We are working to increase awareness of the many benefits of cryptocurrencies across the continent and create an environment that can bring about the development these uh, economies need. When you consider that the global financial system that underpins the global economy was created 75 years ago and has seen little change, there's a case to be made for taking another look at the system. Our research indicates that people from emerging markets are seeking a change to the way global money exchange and banking operates. Individuals in these markets cannot afford to and should no longer need to pay extortionate exchange rates, accept national devaluation, or lose out when they simply transfer money between individuals or entities. Access to a more inclusive financial system will enable people everywhere to think of new and better ways of exchanging value, and we are hoping to play a crucial part here. So, yeah, there's some shit coinery here. I, you know, it's it, it, it'll be okay. But, you, you know, remember, Africa is a large continent representing tens of countries, you know, lots of people. It's an important place because most of these economies are, are, you know, could be classified as third world, right? I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of poverty in Africa. There's lots of starvation in Africa. And, and most of it actually comes from the fact that, you know, countries, individual governments have basically torpedoed their own people in, in, with their own greed. I mean, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's, True. I don't know what else to say about it. So this is good, even though there's some shit coinery involved. I'm not going to get all that upset about it. Um, Kick founder. <laughs> this is Marie Huliet writing for Cointelegraph uh, yesterday. The Kick founder said, quote, we'll fight the SEC until we don't have a dollar left. Oh, God, this really should be the train wreck. But I got another one for that one. Okay. The CEO and founder of Canadian social media and messaging app Kick has vowed to fight U.S. regulators over the future of the native kin cryptocurrency, no matter how hard it is. According to a September 25th report from Global News, Kick CEO Ted Livingston told an audience the Elevate conference in Toronto on Wednesday. I guess told an audience at the Elevate conference on in Toronto on Wednesday. Quote, we have to keep going. Until that's it, we don't have another dollar left, a person left. We will keep going, no matter how hard it is. Oh, good God. 
As reported, Kick has been mired in costly legal battle with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission over its initial coin offerings designation with the regulator suing the company for having conducted an allegedly unregistered $100 million token offering. Livingston has pledged to fight to win the legal challenge, noting that if the Kin token will be categorized as a security, cumbersome regulations will mean it is no longer workable, impelling the company's revenue model. Oh, sorry, not impelling, imperiling. It's perilous. It's very perilous. Quote, we feel very confident that we are correct. We need to fight, he said. Jesus, just like... These are horrible quotes that he's coming up with. It's like he's already lost the fight. I mean, you can almost... You can almost hear the 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 fact that he's already given in in these statements. It's kind of kind of sad. <clears throat> Kick hopes to go to trial as soon as May 2020. He revealed. Meanwhile, the SEC's action has slowed adoption of Ken and restricting trading. Even though roughly 60 apps still do use the token, according to Livingston. The CEO said that he remains committed to Kin because he sees such tokens are the only way to tackle an ever-increasing concentration of wealth, as well as the, the prevail, uh, prevalence of monopolies. Quote, cryptocurrencies are the only way, the only tool we have now that we can counteract that, where we can build a new economy with a new form of money, where we can rewrite the rules for how wealth and value is created in a global society. Bullshit. That's not why you did this. You did this to get rich. You, you gave bags to people and they're... Poor assholes are just sitting on him, holding him, begging, praying that Ken goes up. Last week, Kick revealed that insufficient revenue amid these difficulties was forcing it to cut down its workforce from 151 to 19, including staff at its offices in Waterloo, Ontario, and Tel Aviv. The remaining staff will reportedly be focused on encouraging investors to buy the Ken cryptocurrencies. Uh, that's it for that, but no. The remaining staff will not be focused on encouraging investors. The remaining staff will be getting their fucking resumes together and getting the hell out of that dumpster fire. Come on, man. Wake up, dude. Ted, I think you're, I, you're toast, man. Okay, this next one is about the BAT shitcoin, the BAT, basic attention token. That's that's the thing that's on Brave. A report came out from Brave New Coin. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a it's a long tech analysis on the what the basic attention token is doing in so far as its relative strength. So I'm just going to cut to the chase and go right to the conclusion because it, that's where all the meat is. Everything else is just pointing to it. So um, despite the strong growth in publisher numbers for Brave. On-chain data suggests that the BAT token has not benefited from an increase in these registrations. Despite on-chain metrics declining since May, these metrics remain above historic levels. NVT and average transaction values are near historic lows, suggesting increasing utility for the BAT token. However, the circulating supply of over 1 billion BAT tokens are likely to provide downward uh, pressure until active Brave users, active addresses, and daily transaction amounts increase dramatically. Technicals for the BAT-BTC pair suggest renewed ranging between 2,000 and 5,000 Satoshi levels until the range high or low is broken. A bullish reversal trade could emerge if price is able to breach the 3,000 sat level. Based on the daily cloud, a bull trend will not return until price is above this zone. Technicals for the BAT-USD pair also suggest an active bear trend, showing signs of potential reversal. If the current low is at USO 16 holds, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, 
a move toward the uh, United States 30 cent level is possible in the near term. So what is it saying? It's It's saying that lots of people use Brave. No one's using BAT. I use Brave. That's what I'm I'm reading to you right now from the from my Brave browser. I love the Brave browser. It's really good. I I have been using it for god a couple of years now at least and it does exactly what it says it does. It blocks everything. I mean it, it, it literally it, it it's the best ad blocker I've ever seen in my entire life. It's amazing. Have I used Bat no, not a single bat. I, I think I've got some in my bat wallet. I have like seven notifications from my bat wallet. I have no idea what they say because I don't care. And neither does anybody else. That bat is a stupid idea, just like most of the other shit coins on the market. Just stay away. Stay away from shit coinery. Of course, Marie Juliet's writing about more shit coinery on Cointelegraph, but this is this is about Justin Sun. Tron's Justin Sun to reschedule Warren Buffett lunch, quote, very soon. This was from yesterday. Tron founder and CEO Justin Sun said he will reschedule his charity lunch with Berkshire Hathaway chairman and billionaire Warren Buffett very soon. The CEO announced the news during a live stream on Tuesday, September the 24th. As reported, Sun had won a charity auction on eBay in June to have lunch with Buffett and his own choice of guests with a winning bid of $4.5 million, the highest bid in the event's 20-year history. Yet just days, just days ahead of the much-anticipated event, the Tron CEO was forced to postpone due to medical reasons. Bullshit. Confirmed guests had included Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire and Litecoin creator Charlie Lee. Ahead of its postponing, Sun had notably even extended an invitation to United States President Donald Trump following the president's scathing remarks about cryptocurrencies on social media. Sun had appealed, quote, Mr. President, you are misled by fake news. Bitcoin and blockchain happens to be the best chance for the U.S. I'd love to invite you to have lunch with crypto leaders along with Warren Buffett on July the 25th. I guarantee you after this lunch, nobody will know crypto more than you. The president had not responded publicly to Sun's invitation. Buffett, who is <clears throat> who has earned the moniker of the Oracle of Omaha for his ostensibly astute investment picks, is notorious for his by now ritual opprobrium toward Bitcoin, having memorably, memorably characterized Bitcoin as probably rat poison squared in 2018. This year saw yet further metaphorical interventions. Oh, I'm sorry, inventions, including the remark that, quote, if Bitcoin doesn't do anything, oh, it, Bitcoin, doesn't do anything. It just sits there. It's like a seashell or something. And that's not an investment to me. And how's that pet rock gold doing for you there, pal? Okay. Oh, God. Now, this is getting outside of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but it's still important for us because this is the buy Bitcoin signal. This is out of Reuters is writing uh, yesterday. German authorities raid Deutsche Bank over Dansk scandal. Good. This is like the second time Deutsche Bank has been raided. Probably third. I just just know about two. German authorities have raided Deutsche Bank's Frankfurt headquarters in search of information related to Danske Bank and or Dansk Bank and a money laundering scandal, Frankfurt prosecutor said on Wednesday. 
They are investigating whether Germany's biggest bank facilitated money laundering and whether it failed to alert authorities about suspicious transactions quickly enough, the prosecutor said. Dansk Bank is under investigation in several countries, including the United States, Denmark, Britain, and Estonia, over suspicious payments totaling 200 billion euros, $220 billion U.S., moved through its tiny Estonian branch. Deutsche Bank acted as a correspondent bank for Dansk. The search, which began on Tuesday and concluded on Wednesday evening, involved three prosecutors and nine agents from Germany's federal criminal police. Deutsche Bank said it was cooperating. Quote, Deutsche Bank has co- comprehensively examined the facts of the matter and has voluntarily provided the requested documents as far as possible, end quote. Prosecutors said the period in question is 2014 to 2018 and that there was a suspect who worked at the bank during that period. <clears throat> Deutsche Bank had alerted authorities to 1.1 million suspicious transactions, prosecutors said. Prosecutors also said that a double-digit number of transactions with a, vol- with a volume of 12.5 million euros were either registered by Deutsch- Deutsche too late with authorities or the bank should have blocked them from the start. The sh- ooh, I can't pronounce this at all. S-U-E-D-D-E-U-T-C-S-C-H-E-Zeitung. Sidenich Zeitung, I guess, was the first to report the raid on, on Deutsche. Deutsche Bank had previously faced issues of money laundering and the controls in place to prevent it. Last year, dozens of police raided six Deutsche Bank offices in and around Frankfurt over money laundering allegations linked to the Panama Papers. Fingers and everything. Germany's financial market watchdog, Buffin, last year ordered Deutsche to do more to prevent money laundering. In 2017, Deutsche Bank was fined nearly $700 million for artificial trades between Moscow, London, and New York that could have been used for money laundering. An investigation by the United States Department of Justice is still ongoing. Now, okay, check this shit out. Completely related, <clears throat> Bloomberg's uh, Ott Umelis is writing as of September the 25th, Dansky, Dansk Bank executive ensnared in money laundering scandal found dead. Nothing to see here, brothers. Nothing to see here, sisters. Nah, nah. Let's, let's get into it. The former head of Dansk Bank in Estonia, the unit at the center of $220 billion in money laundering, was found dead after disappearing from his home on Monday. Aviar Rehe, who was chief executive officer of the branch until he left in 2015, had been reported missing from his home in Greater Tallinn. Police had warned that the 56-year-old was on was a suicide risk. Wow, calling that early. Just just a tick, just a tick early. Rehe's body was found near his home, the police said in a statement on Wednesday. Quote, this place had been checked earlier by his family. The body had, has no signs of violence. Neither does anything point to an accident, end quote. The police said no more details would be provided out of courtesy to the family, and there would be no investigation into Rehe's death. Let me, let me read that again. The place had been checked earlier by his family. The body has no signs of violence. Neither does anything point to an accident. The police said no more details would be provided out of courtesy to the family, and there would be no investigation into Rehi's death. This is bullshit. The case has dominated Estonian media since the former executive disappeared. Rehi, known as a workaholic, joined the bank a year before its 2007 takeover by Dansk. He was reportedly at the Estonian Tax and Customs Board, 
or sorry, previously. He wasn't a suspect in the laundering probe and wasn't among a group of Estonian bankers detained by police last year. Valdo Poder, operations chief of the Northern Police Prefecture, told the public broadcaster ERR on Tuesday that Rehi's actions, domestic situation, and the information we have gathered from his family all pointed to the possibility of suicide. In an emailed comment, Dansk Bank said, We are saddened to learn of the death of Aviar Rehi, the former head of our Estonian branch. Our thoughts are with the family. In an interview with local media in March, Rehi said that as the CEO of the Estonian branch, he naturally felt responsible for the affair, but he also said that the unit had a very normal daily workflow. Competent bodies inside and outside the bank did their job to the best of their knowledge, he told the the Post-Times Daily. Dansk was ordered by Estonia's regulators to pull out of the country earlier this year and is now the target of criminal investigation in Denmark, Estonia, and the United States. Preliminary criminal charges have been brought against several of its former executives in Denmark, including former group, uh, former group CEO Thomas Borgen. Dansk's dirty money, <laughs> dirty money saga has implicated other banks since it burst into the headlines last year. In the Nordic region, Swedbank is being investigated amid allegations it may have handled more than $100 billion in potentially suspicious transactions via its Baltic operations. A picture is emerging of widespread misconduct in which suspicious funds from Russia were channeled via Nordic banks into the West over a period of several years. The affair has been disastrous for Dansk's share price. Last year, it lost almost 50% of market value and shareholders have to swallow another 25% decline so far in 2019. The bank is now facing class action lawsuits from investors. Rehi's most recent position was as an advisor to Estonia's Big Bank AS, a job he left in November, according to Post Times, which cited Big Bank Supervisory Board Chairman Parvel Punslid. The chairman said Rehi's exit had nothing to do with the dance scandal. In his March interview, Rehi said that he checks and controls in, ah, the checks and controls in place while he was CEO were quote sufficient. He urged the public to await the outcome of multiple investigations into the Dansk affair before drawing any conclusions. He also said any money laundering requirements at the time quote were significantly different from those in place today. So yeah, nothing to see here, y'all. You know, right? Nothing, nothing, that, that's pure coincidence, pure coincidence. You know, he's just dead. They're not going to investigate. That's how this shit always works. How many of these things have happened? Especially in, in like, there's been several, I remember there was a spate of bankers committing suicide a couple of years ago. They were either, they were like called a suicide before any of them hit the fucking pavement. How much longer are we going to put up with this crap? How much longer is it that you're going to have to have like a conversation at a, you know, over drinks or where where the person on the other side of the table actually believes this garbage? How much longer do we have to put up with it? Because this is, this is clearly bullshit. No investigation. Okay. So the flipping happened, just not in the way anybody wanted or not in the way Ethereum people wanted. Coindesk's uh, Christian Kim is writing as of yesterday, why Ethereum briefly overtook Bitcoin in daily transaction fees. <laughs> Ethereum transaction fees are back on the rise and gaining parity with Bitcoin transaction fees. As seen in data charts provided by blockchain analytics firms Coinmetrics, Ethereum surpassed Bitcoin in daily transaction fees on September the 21st. While Ethereum has since been maintaining a close parity with Bitcoin's daily transaction fees, Bitcoin currently beats out Ethereum at roughly 350000 in fees per day. 
Granted, Bitcoin trading volume has been experiencing a slump as of late June, falling from $1.32 million to below $300 million across major cryptocurrency exchanges, according to data from Bitcoinity.org. Bitcoin's daily, or the Bitcoin's market value is also tanking in recent days, dropping from a high of 8,500 to below 8,000 on Thursday. However, this slump isn't expected to last forever, with many cryptocurrency day traders such as Eric Cho noting that transaction fee volume should pick up again in coming months as trading for the asset begins to increase. I do believe this is a temporary thing. Historically, Bitcoin transaction fees have been higher. I do think this is a more temporary fixation of the markets right now, said Cho. Cho added that part of the reason for a surge in Ethereum transaction fees has been the re- recent increase in trading activity surrounding dollar peg stablecoin Tether. Since 2018, USDT has been trading on Ethereum as well as on the Bitcoin-based OmniLayer protocol. Over the course of 2019, however, the Ethereum version of Tether has been surpassing the Omni protocol version by some metrics. Quote, the Ethereum version of Tether hit a new all-time high of one, uh, sorry, 187,912 daily transactions on September the 9th, Coinmetrics reported in a September 17th newsletter, adding, USDT ETH is generating so many transactions that it recently accounted for 25% of all Ethereum transactions on September the 8th and has consistently accounted for more than 10% of all Ethereum transactions since mid-August. There's your use case, I guess. According to Tether's official website, there is roughly $2 billion worth of Tether currently issued on the Ethereum platform. In December of last year, there was only a reported $60 million. Calling this the rise of Tether on Ethereum, TM TM Lee, co-founder of cryptocurrency data aggregator uh, aggregator CoinGecko, said the spike in Tether's popularity is likely due to the migration of users from Omni to Ethereum. This is likely due to the gradual switch of USDT support from Omni to Ethereum in most exchanges, especially Binance, which made the switch sometime in July 2019, Ong said via email. Financial market director at cryptocurrency exchange OKX, OKX Linux Lie added, quote, the shift is potentially beneficial to the Ethereum ecosystem since it shall decrease friction for the most used stablecoin in the world integrating into the open finance space. However, with USDT clogging the Ethereum network, it means other developers have to encounter a spike of cost on computation power in Ethereum. In order to prevent the network congestion, miners on the Ethereum network have recently responded to the surge in transaction activity by increasing Ethereum's gas limit. Stepping back, the cost to send a transaction on the Ethereum network is called gas and paid in fractions of ETH called GWEI. G-W-E-I. For every block processed on the Ethereum blockchain, there is a limit to the overall amount of gas that can be collected by miners. In short, higher gas limit means that a higher number of transactions can be included in the block. On September the 19th, Ethereum miners collectively raised network gas limits from 8 million to 10 million GUI. Ethereum blocks are now effectively 20%, 25% larger, allowing for larger transaction processing loads. At the same time, the concern around larger block sizes on Ethereum is that block propagation speed may slow down. The slower it is for a block to be propagated and accepted by all miners in the Ethereum network, the higher the likelihood is for temporary chain splits to occur. Quote, as gas limit goes up, block size will eventually follow it, requiring more storage and initial sync time for nodes, said Eric Connor, founder of Ethereum information site ETHUB. So far, though, block size hasn't really gone up despite the gas limit increasing. Even so, some outside the Ethereum community 
have viewed the collective decision-making of miners on the platform with derision. Quote, it's official. Ethereum miners have unilaterally increased the gas limit and made it harder to sink a full node, end quote, tweeted self-proclaimed Bitcoin maximalist Connor Brown. Quote, meanwhile, Ethereans rejoice at how easy it is it was for miners to do this without public debate, end quote. However, there is still room for public debate, according to the Ethereum core developer Alexei Akhunov, who says he'd like to better understand the effects of the gas limit increase. Quote, I would like to analyze whether this increase in the gas limit by 25% has accelerated the Ethereum state growth by 25% or by a lower percentage he added, I do not know, but we shall see soon. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's not good. Sorry, it's just it's just not. Uh, okay, so following the, the absolute stu- stupidity that was the Venezuelan Petro, their failed cryptocurrency, Landon Manning is writing for Bitcoin Magazine that Venezuelan Central Bank considers adding Bitcoin to its balance sheet. <laughs> You should have done that first. Jeez, God, it's not that hard. Despite operating its own largely unsuccessful state-backed cryptocurrency, the Petro, the central bank of the uh, Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela is also considering adding Bitcoin to its balance sheet, giving state institutions the ability to settle payments in cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrency mining has been especially popular in Venezuela for several years due to factors such as the low cost of electricity and lack of access to financial institutions caused by international United States sanctions. Although the Venezuelan government launched the first state-backed cryptocurrency in 2018, the usage of world-renowned crypto assets like Bitcoin has been steadily rising. On September the 26th, 2019, Bloomberg reported a new development in the Venezuelan crypto scene. The largest state-backed oil company, Petróleos de Venezuela S.A., has made a formal request that the Venezuelan central bank deal in Bitcoin and Ethereum. According to Bloomberg, PDVSA is having trouble making and receiving payments through conventional channels due to banks' refusal to deal with Venezuelan businesses. However, PDVSA has in its possession a large, unspecified reserve of these two popular crypto assets. It believes that the Central Bank of Venezuela can use these reserves to pay off the company's debts and receive payments without needing to go through traditional exchanges. The report claims that the Central Bank of Venezuela is seriously looking at its ability to make deals with these sorts of with, uh, with this sort of asset. The Venezuelan government began officially experimenting with using BTC to circumvent various international sanctions in July 2019. So this development seems in line with previous behavior. Of particular interest, however, is the added note that the Venezuelan government is considering the feasibility of counting crypto assets toward the nation's international reserves. The Venezuelan government's international reserves currently sit at the lowest point in three decades, $7.3 billion. Venezuela had previously entrusted a further $1.2 billion worth of gold to the Bank of England, which the bank has unilaterally refused to give back to them. (laughs) Citing diplomatic ties to the United States and a disposition from both the U.S. and the U.K. to support Juan Guaido's complete non-starter of a self-proclaimed interim presidency, it does not seem clear if the bank will ever return such a substantial portion of the entire treasury back to Venezuela. Depending on how successful the central bank's attempts to deal in Bitcoin are, plans like this could help the hemorrhaging national economy regain some stability. So at this point, they're finally getting around to trying to throw Bitcoin at the wall and see if it sticks. And of course it will. I mean, the shit, is, it, the shit just works. Somehow or another, though, I, I think the Venezuelan government is going to screw it up somehow. But 
something will remain. I, you know, we don't know what's going on. But if uh, you want any more Venezuelan news, the last uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt from Marty Bent and uh, has, I think, three guys, a couple of them, uh, th- there's two Latin Americans, one lives in Canada and uh, is doing some, uh, some leaden thing. And then uh, another one, I think, is still in Venezuela or not. Anyway, he's got, them, he's got them all together, and they're all talking about what the hell's going on in Venezuela. And they were talking about this particular thing that the Venezuelan government has already started using Bitcoin in sort of, I guess, a test kind of thing to circumvent U.S. sanctions. And it seems to be working out for them. So now it looks like they're taking, taking it to phase two. And uh, I couldn't be more happy about that. Anyway, so anyway, that's it for the morning roundup. Let's get into some vitals. Vital statistics coming out of bitinfocharts.com. We have the price of Bitcoin at 7,974. Going, <laughs> jeez. Oh, that's painful, man. It's freaking painful. FNX has the high at 7,999. The low is going to be over at HitBTC at 7,958. 317,000 transactions have been made over the last 24 hours with 13,200 transactions per hour on average. 1 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours with 41, let's make that 42,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. 3.17 BTC is the average transaction value, while the median is 0.026 BTC, right around 200 bucks. Uh, block time is a bit low at 9 minutes and 40 seconds. We did have a difficulty increase. Where is that thing? Yeah, we're at we're at 12.5 billion on the difficulty. It was a, I think it was a, a 7% increase that happened yesterday or the day before. Um, 0.2 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 31 BTC have been taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. We have a 3.6% rise in the hash rate, topping over 100. We are at 102 exahashes per second. Jeez, God almighty, man. Um, and it looks like the last uh, GitHub commit to the repository or the uh, the last commit to the GitHub repository for Bitcoin was done yesterday. Ethereum is at 165. Bcash, 212. Litecoin, 54. BSV, 82. Ethereum Classic is below five at four and a half. Dogecoin's holding at 0.0022 cents, whatever the hell that even means. Poor Doge. <laughs> Mempool. Uh, we've got, we're 12 blocks deep and we have about, uh, looks like 200, oh, I'm sorry, 200, 22,200 unconfirmed transactions. Let's look at lightning. Uh, we've had a 71% increase in the number of new nodes over the last 24 hours, which is 12. So we've had 12 new nodes put online in the last 24 hours. Over the last seven days, 76 has been put on. And over the last month, a total of 308 have been put on. However, new channels have dropped by 33%. So we've only got 89 new channels over the last 24 hours. Uh, the last seven days, 1,000 channels have been, uh, have been struck. And then over the last 30 days, almost 5,000 new channels have been struck. So that's going to do it for your vitals. Mm-hmm.
All right. It couldn't be helped. At one point or another, I was going to have to play Rush again. Sorry, dudes. This is War Paint off of the uh, 1989 album Presto, which didn't get a lot of, I mean, well, I mean, it didn't get like hardly any acclaim at all. And it's, I mean, it's not their best album, but there's something about it. It's still really good. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple of songs on there that I really do enjoy. Eh, I mean, I can see why the album didn't gain a whole lot of traction. I don't think it actually ever charted, but it, it, it has its moments and this is one of them.
The Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by our good friends over at EOS. That's right. Uh, EOS receives $600,000 grant from Commonwealth's Opportunity Fund. Really? Didn't EOS just like, didn't they raise $4.1 billion for their shit coin, which is, has a market cap of 3.9 billion. However the hell that works. I didn't, they have $4.1 billion. $4.1 billion was poured into that shitty project. And here they are taking a $600,000 handout. What? This is the kind of chicanery that, that I, this is why I don't shitcoin because these people are thieves. And what's worse is that Commonwealth, the Commonwealth Opportunity Fund just got hosed. Did they, did they not know? Why did they give them $600,000? Well, let's, I don't know. Let's let's read something about it. Daniel Kuhn is writing for Coindesk as of the 25th. Block One, the software company behind the EOS blockchain, will expand its U.S. footprint with a new headquarters and a $10 million investment in Arlington County, Virginia. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam announced the plans on Monday, along with a 600000 grant from Commonwealth Opportunity Fund. EOS is the world's seventh largest blockchain by market cap, valued at more than $3 billion. Quote, Arlington's proximity to Washington, D.C. allows us to continue building constructive businesses and government relationships as we provide insights for the application of blockchain-based technologies, Block One Chief Operating Officer Andrew Bliss said in a statement. The company already has a Virginia presence with an 80-employee facility in Blacksburg, Virginia, approximately 250 miles away. Blacksburg is home to CTO Dan Larimer and has served as the company's headquarters since inception. The new facility will employ 170 people in professional and IT services and support the Blackburg's office in research and development. Following a $4.1 billion initial coin offering in 2017, Block One has made significant investments, including establishing offices in Hong Kong and L.A. In June, the company announced the launch of a social media platform, Voice, though, though details on its debut have since been sparse. Block One has also been criticized for, criticized for its handling of its treasury, including a June stock buyback and the conversion of its native tokens into Bitcoin. This is why you don't shitcoin. So you can stay as far away from this kind of chicanery as possible. They don't have any clue what they're doing at this point. All they know is they're sitting on a mountain of cash, and then they just got another $600,000. This is just, this is chicanery. It's just snake oil. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile over there in the corner. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by... I got two up here. I got to pick one. But one's poorly written, and I'm going to stumble that one. Let's go with Dad Says Jokes. At Dad Says Jokes on Twitter. What do you call an iguana that thinks it's a dog? A reptile dysfunction. (laughs) 
Oh God, I'm so grateful I found Dad says jokes. The, I mean, just scrolling through that Twitter feed is just oh God, it's a gold mine, freaking gold, Jerry, gold, it's absolute gold mine. Okay, this is going to be a short show. Apparently, we're at 49 minutes and 30 seconds. I I got nothing left other than the fact that you know we obviously we're seeing you know Bitcoin tank a little bit. Actually, a lot. Come on, let's 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 cut through the shit. Okay. It's tanking a lot. This is probably going to be around for a while. So strap in, keep your shit straight, keep your powder dry, and I'll see you on the inside. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.